Yep. Welcome <laughs> to Fuck Tales, where we drink and talk about <laughs> birds, mostly. I'm Kristen Frunk. I'm Ashley Ola. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Maya Pershing. And we are your four resident bird nerds. And um, it was Charles' birthday uh, last week, and sure he's was. a big boy. <sighs> Charlie turned 11. The big <laughs> one won. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Charlie is a dog. Yeah. Oh, it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Yes, he is not my human son. He is a dog. <laughs> <laughs> Do you call your dogs fur babies? Are you asking me? No, I don't. Anybody, anybody, does anybody call their pets fur babies? No, it doesn't bother really. me when other people do, but I don't do it myself because it okay. feels weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never done it. I've also never done it. I just wasn't sure. I just yeah. imagine a big furry baby and it makes me uncomfortable, <laughs> so I don't say it. <laughs> like, yeah, like a cave baby? <laughs> yeah, like a human baby, but with lots of fur. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with that, but it makes me vaguely unsettled Mm -hmm. do you see those babies that are like six months old but have like a full head of hair that shit kind of weirds me out too i've heard that sometimes babies will be born with like a lot of hair and then they lose it and then they grow back i don't know i feel like i heard that a really long time ago but i don't know if that's actually true I don't know. None of us know shit about human babies. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you all about altricial and precocial bird babies, but I know nothing about human babies. Right? <laughs> I know that there's a soft spot, and if you push the soft spot, the world blows up, or at least the baby does, and I don't want to deal with any well, yeah. either of those things. Babies have a self-destruct button? <laughs> That's horrifying. Yeah, they have a soft spot on their head. And obviously, if you push on the soft spot, then you're going to be, like, pushing on their brain. Probably not a good idea. Who put that there? What a poor plan. This is a bad design. The evolutionary (laughs) reason why they don't have solid skulls and bones so that they can fit out of a vagina. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, this is an important consideration that I hadn't considered. I didn't think of that. It is. (laughs) It's a (laughs) trade-off. I've never had to think about this before. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Oh, my gosh. (sighs) Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I don't plan on birthing a child of my own, but I'm glad that they have squishy heads so that they can come out easier. Oh, I just thought about that from, like, the perspective of having to actually do that in by myself and like that's not a thing that my vagina just like sh- like like it it shuddered yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i feel like all the women with kids out there are just like what is wrong with these people yeah right, all, the right. people, all the people with kids out there are just like i don't these like these people are just like their babies suck it up <laughs> I mean, the whole process is so natural and magical, and I just... And I never want to do it. It also scares the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have had this... Full disclosure, we have had this conversation, like, we had this conversation about once every six months in our office together. We were all just like, I don't even know what pregnancy is, and it sounds terrifying and horrible. No, thank you. (laughs) But all of you parents out there are doing a great job. I'm yeah, so we, impressed we by people it. who can do it. Yeah, oh my god, so much support. 
<laughs> we just don't know how to do it ourselves and we don't want to do it ourselves and we're afraid of it. <laughs> I'm glad someone else is carrying on the human race for us. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> Y'all are doing so fantastic. We're going to fuck around and talk about birds and get drunk. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so the moral of that story was that Charlie had a birthday party and it was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Did he get a cake? Oh my god, I made oh, him yeah. cupcakes. Aww. Oh, oh. And they had yogurt and peanut butter icing Ooh. with little doggy treats on top. And he got to go to the pet store, which is his favorite thing. And I got him a new bow tie. Ooh. It was pretty cute. The whole shebang was pretty cute. <laughs> Did he get to pick out a toy or a treat or anything? Yeah, he gets to pick out everything at the pet store. So he came back with like four <laughs> bags of treats. <laughs> Aww. He's a good boy. He's such a good boy. How is his um his uh incisions? They're okay. Yeah. I mean, they're like mostly healed at this point. Yeah. We just need to figure out what to do about the big C. Mm. That means cancer, not the other big C. <laughs> What's the other big C? Cock. Oh. <laughs> but that's not the one I'm talking about <laughs> in this particular context. As soon as I said it, I was like, wait, that might be weird. Oh my god. <laughs> or is that the big D? Sorry, yeah, I should have gotten my, the one I'm my alphabet got confused. With, I mean, there's there's that's many words point. we could use here. <laughs> right. Oh my god, your expression when you said that was so funny. <laughs> Jen, you're gonna cut this, right? She says she will, but then she doesn't. I know. She's I get to lie to you every week. <laughs> I did it last week. I'm doing it again this week. Uh, I like that you don't even bother to lie anymore. You're just like, no, I'm not gonna cut that. You're on your own with your cock fluffle over there. <laughs> you know what? I've gotten mad with power. <laughs> support that you deserve it after editing all of our bullshit it's way more fun than you think bullshit so she doesn't cut anything (laughs) oh ashley's right ashley's right with the sass (laughs) i deserve it i totally deserve it okay we should get on talk so this week um we realized it was pointed out to us by my human husband person (laughs) partner versus your robotic husband (laughs) person partner my what? Robotic no, human person human partner one. husband? No, as well, my robotic person partner husband's name is Bob, and he lives in my nightstand drawer. Oh, <laughs> wait, why Bob? That's an interesting name choice. It's a vibrator, dude. Yeah, but why is his name Bob? But why Bob? Oh, I don't oh. know. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. His name is Bob. Anyway, mine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway did you have a question did you have a question Kristen? no i answered it myself it's fine <laughs> was, what was your question no i was i mean i was just curious about the name bob oh like where it came from yeah or just why you named it bob my brain uh just i don't have a reason like i'm not yeah. horny for bob ross so don't worry about that i guess <laughs> didn't even think of that reason <laughs> And <laughs> not in my list of potential reasons. <laughs> yeah, I hope that wasn't up there. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, his name is Bob. It's fine. No, um, it's fair. It's quick, quick and easy. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. it. Just 
just like Bob. Anyway. All right. We covered birth. Check that one off. We covered vibrators. Check that one off. What else today? I'm definitely not cutting out the shit about the vibrator. Anyway. (laughs) Um, I'm only embarrassing myself. You all have nothing to worry about. Well, I'm not embarrassed. Um, okay, so it was pointed out by my human husband partner person um, that uh, last week's episode was, we said it was BIPOC, but it was mostly focused on the B portion of BIPOC. So today we are exploring a little bit further into the IPOC territory. Um, we just want to highlight okay. all the folks. And I think it was great yeah. that we spent a whole episode talking about black women who are doing badass shit. Yes, yeah. I have no regrets, and I'm also really excited for today's episode. Yeah, you want to start us off there? Oh yeah, I do. That's me. I'm gonna start. Okay. <laughs> so I am gonna talk about Jamila Joffrey. Who? Oh, there's so many people I've discovered through this podcast that I have like stem and or bird crushes on, um, <laughs> and this woman is so cool. So she's a STEM education consultant. So she helps like plan curriculums around STEM. Um, And she's also the project director for Project Explore, which I'm going to talk about what that is, um, and Project Systemic, which is kind of under the umbrella of Project Explore. Um, Okay, so yeah, she is doing some really amazing work around basically introducing STEM and STEM careers to minority youth and especially focusing on girls. And a lot of her work has taken place in Chicago, where she's been facilitating, like, STEM experiences and mentorship. Um, And, she I mean, she's affected the lives of countless Black girls and other minority girls through her work with Project Exploration, which I talked about. Oh, sorry. Okay. The hashtag is Proj, Proj, P-R-O-J, Explore. But it's called Project Exploration. Okay. So, Jamila, (laughs) I'm going to start at the very beginning. She was born and raised in New York which is where her family settled after immigrating from Pakistan. Um, So her family is Muslim. Um, Her mom was a math teacher, and her dad kind of just always worked in science labs. So in 1997, Jamila graduated with a bachelor's degree in biology and a minor in anthropology, which is really cool, from Columbia University. And then in two years, she got a master's degree in secondary science education, also from Columbia, which can we talk about how impressive it is to do a master's in two years? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, unreal. <laughs> it's really fast. Yeah. Um, so then after that, she taught science at several different high schools, including the master's school, which I believe is in New York. And it's like mm-hmm. pretty high tier school. It seems like a really cool place. Um, but she created like science curricula there that are still being used today. Wow. Um, Damn. So wow. yeah. So after teaching science in the U.S. for several years, she actually lived in Damascus, Syria, for 16 months. Um, Whoa. And she, yeah, she was working on her lifelong dream of learning Arabic. What? And wow. yeah, it's just really cool. And so while she was there, she met educators and she kind of informally spoke with people about how science is taught to like in Syria and like especially like to women or young girls. Um, okay, so then fast forward to 2007, she comes back to the US and she moves to Chicago where she starts working for Project Exploration. And this whole um, 
endeavor of project exploration is really cool. So it was founded in 2000 by a paleontologist from the University of Chicago. His name is Paul Serino and his wife, who is an educator, um, Gabrielle Leon. And kind of the, the mission statement of the whole organization is just to, I'll just quote from their website, to ensure that communities traditionally overlooked by science, such as minority youth and girls, have access to personalized experiences with scientists. And so they're basically, yeah, introducing like personal experiences and like letting girls and women explore science by meeting actual human being scientists. Nice. Which is so important. And like part of mm-hmm. the reason that we started this mm-hmm. podcast was to humanize scientists. Completely. Yeah. yeah. So she coordinated girls programs for them beginning in 2007 And like the kind of the way that she thought about it is like when she was a child, like being in the classroom was not really her primary influence in like deciding to pursue science. Like most of it was the time that she spent with her parents and like with her dad in the science lab. Um, And she basically wanted to give other girls that kind of opportunity to kind of explore science as she had gotten through like hanging out with her parents in their careers. Mm -hmm. Um. So as the coordinator of girls programs, she designed and delivered programs through what she called Sisters for Science in four different schools, um, which Mm. is a really cool program. And then she kind of moved on to become the director of Youth Science Pathways at Project Exploration. And she kind of like aligns curriculum and instruction to their, they call it their Youth Science Pathways approach. And then she also helps train the scientists who are working as part of the program. So she helps the scientists become better communicators with these young girls. Because as a scientist, sometimes it's hard to communicate your science to audiences that are kind of a different level or like not necessarily scientists themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, So training the scientists is a big part of these kind of outreach programs. Yeah. Have y'all ever done outreach with young kids? Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. (laughs) It's like yeah. not my jam. I have to think about it a lot. Yeah, it's fun, but it's such a different way of like thinking about science. And I think that's one of like the interesting things about like being in academia or like higher level science is that you're never actually trained on this whole concept of like how to communicate your findings necessarily, especially to younger kids. So mm-hmm. it's a different world. <laughs> yeah, it's big. Mm-hmm. I started thinking about it a lot more doing this like letters to a pre-scientist thing. So you like write letters mm-hmm. back and forth with kids in middle school about like what you're doing. And I was like, really having to think about what I do and like why I do it and being able to distill it down to like the basic information and then use language that is approachable um, to people in middle school. Right. (laughs) But yeah, and that's so true about like what you do and why you do it, because honestly, second graders have like given me this total like existential crisis, (laughs) like breakdown. Really? Yeah, they just ask these really honest questions that you sometimes don't think about when you're like way in the weeds in your project (laughs) that are just like, oh shit, you're right. Like, why do I do this? Like, why does anyone care about this? (laughs) Like, how does the bird feel about this? (laughs) It's good energy. (laughs) We all need two-year-olds to be on our committees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, dude, everyone should seriously have like a six-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> they can really put your feet them. to the fire yeah they do they don't hold back man <laughs> um 
Yeah. So Project Exploration acts as a bridge between Chicago youth and local scientists through like after school programs. Um, And so these scientists volunteer to design and execute lesson plans with the guidance of like a program coordinator like Jamila. Um, And basically they're trying to change the like the face of science um, by working Mm -hmm. to ensure that communities that have been overlooked have access to science and scientists. And let's see. What else? Yeah, so the project exploration programs are held weekly. And so students kind of become part of this larger thing that's going on and like build lasting relationships with coordinators and with the scientists who are coming and giving programs, which is such a cool way to mm-hmm. teach science to yeah. girls. Um, ah. And so I guess one of the big things that they've done that Jamila has said like really affected her was they planned I think for four separate years she took part in this all-girls expedition and it was a week-long trip to Yellowstone National Park and they take all the girls who are participating in the program yeah oh my gosh yeah so like the whole group travels together from Chicago public schools and they just have this really amazing and I'm sure like absolutely incredible adventure where they can see nature and appreciate it in ways that they never have before. And, you know, for a lot of these girls, they've never really left the city or they've never been on a plane or they've never been to a national park. Um, And so, yeah, Jamila said there's something so special and magical about this trip being at Yellowstone because it's the very Mm -hmm. first national park. Mm -hmm. Ah, I just can't even, I've been to Yellowstone one time and I was, absolutely mind blown i can't imagine what it would be like for someone who's never been to a national park before Mm -hmm. to just see the fucking majesty that is yellowstone i've never Mm -hmm. been there but i want to go so bad it's worth it yeah yeah um let's see Yeah, so basically she loved it because it's the kind of experience that's normally only available to students whose participation would be based on, like, logistics and having the funding to take a trip Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And so it's Mm -hmm. just making this nature more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, helping push through barriers and creating a more equitable and making opportunities accessible for more young girls especially. Wow, that's so cool. Warms my warms my heart, like makes me tear up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I just can't even it would just be so fun to be a fly on the wall of that trip and just like see all these girls experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. Seriously. But yeah, I mean I think the other really cool part of it is that the program was kind of designed to make them feel like even Chicago, like where they're growing up, there are things to explore and things Mm -hmm. to learn and ways to connect Chicago and Yellowstone. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's not only having this huge appreciation for Yellowstone, but being able to go back to Chicago and apply that appreciation to like the urban wildlife and the urban biodiversity and green spaces and even like the urban, what, gray spaces. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know it just sounds really cool. What a cool idea. So in 2010, the Association for Women in Science named Joffrey the Scientist of the Month. Um, And basically it identifies and highlights individuals who are serving to bring women to science. And she was nominated by um, a woman who had worked with her who was, I think when she nominated Jamila, she was working on her PhD. 
Um, Mm -hmm. And she was just saying that Jamila, I'll just quote her, has a wonderful gift in reaching the youth. She has such a burning enthusiasm for science and has the ability to embark others towards the field. She's a great educator and has inspired me to work with youth, particularly in science. Aw. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That is such high praise, too. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So also in 2010... um, the seeds that Jamila planted during her time in Syria actually grew into a Fulbright Fellowship, um, mm. which is a fellowship from the United States Department of State. And these things, I, I don't think I can overstate um, the uh, prestige, I guess, that goes with this kind of mm-hmm. fellowship. Like Fulbright Fellowships yeah, are really yeah. prestigious. Um, yeah. But anyway, so she went back to Syria to study science education, and she actually performed a case study on the teaching practices of a female, sorry, on the teaching practices of a female science teacher in urban Damascus. Mm. Um, And yeah, like her goal was to kind of understand why science is important to Syrians culturally and socially, and like what factors affect um, like teaching practices Mm -hmm. in science. Dang. Um, So, yeah, I mean, about her project, she said that she was examining perceptions of science and technology among underprivileged women um, and taking advantage of the vast number of scholars in the city. And she was also continuing her Arabic studies. Um, Uh, Of course. Wow. And yeah. And of course, she was really interested in women's issues because she likes to work with female populations. Um, And a lot of the female populations there haven't had ready access to resources Mm -hmm. and information. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, she's basically hoping to gain a perspective that will benefit all of the female Muslims in the community. Nice. Uh, Wow. So cool. So cool. Yeah, she's just such a cool... Did I mention she's a birder? I don't think that I started with that, but she's also a huge birder. (laughs) 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 Just to mention birds. Yeah, I actually discovered her during Black Birders Week. Nice. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she was, like, tweeting some things. Like, she was excited to see that there were other, like, hijab birders out there. Because she Mm -hmm. was like, I've been birding for 20 years and I've never once met another hijab birder. Um, So, yeah, she was pretty psyched. Wow. But, okay, one last thing. So, in 2018, Project Exploration (laughs) received NSF funding, which is National Science Foundation funding, also super prestigious, Mm -hmm. um, to create what they call Project Systemic. Which, mm-hmm. oh, did I write down what it stands for? Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh. Uh, a systems thinking approach to STEM ecosystem development in Chicago. Mm. But basically the goal huh. is to broaden participation of African-American youth um, in like STEM learning opportunities. So kind of a, an extension of what they had already been doing. Um, but it was for a two-year project that focuses on like one particular neighborhood in Chicago, and then we'll kind of model how community members and local stakeholders can be engaged to think about STEM learning and like the STEM learning environment in their own neighborhood. So it's basically involving the community and mm-hmm. figuring out STEM education for children. Cool, dude. That's so cool. It sounds so cool, and I try. I looked around quite a bit to try to see like if they had published results anywhere or like even on their website but i mean it was a two-year project so i'm guessing it ended in 2020 which maybe the pandemic kind of yeah things. Oh, um, yeah but yeah sense. i'm really interested to see what they find 
but yeah, so Jamila Joffrey Project Exploration, I'll share all of the info on our website too, but they're just really cool projects that are going on. And yeah, the world is lucky to have people like Jamila Joffrey in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I love the whole concept too of like being a, a STEM person and so having this kind of like science technology outlook on the world, but then also really being so invested in like human culture and communities as well. And then using like the scientific lens to study like how effective a lot of that work is like teaching STEM and having that, I don't know, like more of an analytical eye to it, I think is really impressive. And I love when people combine that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, that was really inspiring. Yeah, that was r- super is. awesome. I think yeah. I'm next. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm covering the eye in BIPOC. I'm going to be talking uh, <laughs> a little bit about Native Women's Wilderness, um, which is this really cool organization that was founded by... Um, indigenous people indigenous women specifically uh with the mission of inspiring and raising the voices of native women in the outdoor realm uh to encourage a healthy lifestyle grounded in the wilderness and to educate natives and non-natives on the rich beauty and heritage of the ancestral lands beneath our feet um and that's directly from their website which is nativewomenswilderness.org so, yeah, I mean, just their mission statement sounds amazing. It was created mm-hmm. to sort of, like, bring Native women together to share stories and support each other and learn from one another as they, like, explore and celebrate the wilderness and Native um, lands. Um, Some of their goals are to promote women of color in mainstream advertising campaigns of outdoor retailers. Um if you don't see yourself in, you know, advertising for certain things, then you are probably going to be less likely to envision yourself doing those activities. So, like, if you see, you know, outdoor mm-hmm. retailers mm-hmm. like REI or Eddie Bauer or someone and it's all, you know, white people, um, you mm-hmm. might be left thinking, like, well, that's not something that I would do as a person of color, maybe. Um, not me, like Ashley, but like generally, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so promoting women of color in mainstream advertising campaigns, encouraging the celebration um, and exploration of the outdoors, providing education about ancestral lands and their people, um, inspiring women to get outside and enjoy out- the outdoors, promoting a healthy lifestyle within the outdoors, um, providing resources for information and community, and encouraging outdoor education and leadership training for women and school-age girls. Um, oh my gosh. They cover every day. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. They're also on um, Instagram and Facebook. I haven't checked to see if they're on Twitter, but um, anyways, yeah. So the founder, um, her name is Jalen Go, 
I hope I said her last name right. It's G-O-U-G-H. Mm-hmm. Um, she mm-hmm. is from the Diné or Navajo tribe. Um, and she founded it basically sort of out of this frustration of there being a lack of uh, women of color and more specifically native women represented in outdoor industries. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was sort mm-hmm. of like her whole reasoning for creating this organization um she's been like an outdoor guide a mountain bike race coordinator um she's an avid mountain climber hiker mountain biker um and landscape photographer um so this like isn't necessarily specifically really bird related but it's definitely related to increasing diversity in who enjoys the outdoors which is also related to birding so mm-hmm. yeah dude i'm so inspired by all these folks who just are like hey there's no one who looks like me here i'm gonna be that person for other people mm-hmm. like other kids oh. yeah so cool yeah right yeah um and some of the other people um that are Associated with the organization, um, have done other really awesome things. Um, one of them, um, her name is Erin Gilpin. She is from the Salto Cree Matee. Um, and mm-hmm. so she's worked mm-hmm. with a lot of different projects focusing on like community health and wellness and indigenous, indigenous knowledge in response to climate change. Um, but she also founded Indigenous Women Climb or Women X Climb. Um, mm. And that's created to inspire oh, nice. Indigenous communities to like do active experiences and healthy lifestyles um, and educate Indigenous outdoor communities in themes such as cultural protocol, permission to access land, indigenous land-based knowledge systems, um, and dynamics hmm. of privilege and power within outdoor sports. Mm, that sounds Damn. really interesting, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, there is such a dynamic of privilege mm-hmm. and power in outdoor yeah. sports. And especially, like, the, the climbing community, I think, is interesting because they often, you know, go to these really remote areas well, I mean, like all land in the United States was stolen at some point, but it just seems so much more close at hand and like remote, like mountainous landscape mm-hmm. sometimes. And yeah. then to have this like, you know, like a bunch of climbers coming into his face and maybe not having that much of a connection to it is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Is. Um, another woman who works with this organization, her name is. Pinar Sinopolis Lloyd and she mm-hmm. founded um, an organization called Queer Nature that works to explore decolonial queer futurism through natural history and ancestral survival and tactical skills oh I'm sorry I definitely just used the wrong pronouns for them their pronouns are they them and theirs so mm. uh, yeah wait can you what it queer futurism yes and i have to say i don't know exactly what that means i don't i don't either i wonder i wonder if it's a future where everyone is queer 
I don't know. Um, so maybe we'll have to look up what queer futurism is and put it. I'm on doing the it now. Actually. I'm, like, I'm googling it right this second. Okay. Um, the quick definition that I see is bridging queer lineages across dimensions of time. That's what I'm seeing too. It's like the the stuff that I'm getting is like a lot of cinema mm-hmm. results. Like defined as films set in future worlds or times, often combining elements of sci-fi and fantasy with queer culture and concerns Hmm. to provide a lens through which we can reflect on our present lives, struggles, and the possibilities that lie ahead. Dude, fuck yeah. The future is queer. And I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Oh, it's okay. You may continue. I just had questions. Um... Okay, I think this is maybe the last person that I'll cover, just so that we, I don't take up all of the time. Um, the last person <laughs> I'll cover, her, their name is Verna Volker, and she is also from the Diné or Navajo tribe. Um, and she founded Native Women Running, which was created... Um, because of, of the lack of Native women represented in the running world um, and running websites, blogs, social media, and products revolving around um, running. Uh, mm-hmm. So she wants to show Native women that they can do anything that other runners can do. And it sounds like she's an ultra runner. Like she Whoa. has... That's intense. Is like preparing to do a 50k race. Jesus. A 50 kilometer That's race. incredible. Which is crazy. So impressive to me. Yeah. That might be the yeah. definition of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I would just like to point out that they also have um, a really cool person named Cher from the Diné Navajo tribe as well. And she has Down syndrome, and she represents Native athletes who participate in the Special Olympics. And she's Dude. also ah. associated with this organization. So it's not just, you know, able-bodied Native women. It's all Native women that they're trying to get into outdoors and better represented in outdoor oh. activities. Yes! Mm-hmm. That's really fucking cool. Yeah. So this just sounds like a really awesome uh, organization with really cool people doing really cool things for all aspects of native women and outdoor activities. I'm just yeah. wow. I'm starting to feel like the future is gonna be a better place, y'all. And I'm getting excited about it. <laughs> I know. I know. Mm-hmm. These people make me feel that. Yeah, dude. So hard. There's going to be compassion mm. and inclusion and fucking representation. We can get to Star Trek the next generation. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully. That's the ultimate goal. Fingers crossed. <laughs> That's what I have for my little section. That's amazing. It's so inspiring. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I don't think we talked about this in the last episode, but maybe now is a good time to mention it too. That, um, like, we're talking about a lot of these things, but particularly in these United States of America, but also throughout a lot of like the Southern 
hemisphere um a lot of knowledge was actually lost because of colonizers and things and so we're mm-hmm. sort of like it almost feels like we're playing catch up and like re trying to learn what ecological knowledge and natural history knowledge was lost when colonization took mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. and so there are a lot of people that were really probably very very prominent in the world of natural history before colonizers came and there were like that information was just lost because of genocide basically yeah, or just <laughs> viewing the world in a different way than what the white colonizers viewed the world and so the white colonizers yeah. said nope that's wrong you can't mm-hmm. think that or know that anymore yeah uh, it's just really cool that this organization, this parent organizations and all the like other outdoor organizations that came about because of it are like trying to reframe how we think about the outdoors through mm-hmm. that traditional ecological lens. Yeah. It's really cool. Well, also, like, especially here in the US, if you like sort of go back through the history of who gets to be in the outdoors and particularly like the creation of wilderness areas and national parks native (laughs) people were there long before white people decided that those were going to be wilderness and the white people definition of wilderness Mm -hmm. is no humans ever and so a lot of native Mm -hmm. people were kicked out of these areas but also just like kicked out of their ancestral homelands right so Mm -hmm. yeah and now completely basically since european colonization any sort of outdoor activities hiking nature exploration whatever it may be has been predominantly white and predominantly white male Mm -hmm. um oriented so (laughs) thanks teddy roosevelt gifford (laughs) old gifford pincho (laughs) dude okay there is a behind i'm gonna plug this because it's amazing there's a behind the bastards episode about teddy roosevelt y'all should fucking listen to it because it is wild as hell that would be yeah he made it to behind the bastards <laughs> oh my god so you know how like gifford pinchot and like all those people like ansel adams and john muir were racist yeah. Right. like yeah teddy roosevelt was too racist for those people <laughs> whoa oh, no. yeah Next level oh. racist yeah Ugh. there's a whole thing about the panama canal it's and france gets involved it's fucking wild i recommend it oh, a lot boy. um uh. yeah this is all reminding me so much of the. So I took this class when I was at Northland and I didn't fully appreciate it at the time or how relevant that it is to conservation and wilderness in general. But it was mm. called Gender in U.S. Landscapes. And like it mm. mostly looked mm. at like feminist issues, but it was all centered around like wilderness and what we view as wilderness. And like we kind of talked about. I mean, like, in the old days, you know, yeah, like, John Muir, Sierra Club, like, all of the early wilderness organizations and, like, how they, like, everything was about conquering nature. And, like, you climbed Mm -hmm. mountains inherently to conquer nature. And it's just this, like, weird Mm -hmm. relationship of, like, the whole thing is centered around dominance over nature and, like, humans dominating nature and conquering everything. And... Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me now to see an organization like this that has this totally different lens and it's like we're climbing but we're climbing for mm-hmm. like connection instead of climbing mm-hmm. for dominance and conquering mm-hmm. and yeah I just love the idea mm-hmm. of how yeah viewing it through a different lens that's not kind of a I guess a colonizer lens. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It is really hopeful. It yeah. is. Very much. Oh, I guess I'm next, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> it's like I have so, no idea. <laughs> I just I was like, yeah, that sounds right. We'll go with it. <laughs> yep. Seems okay. Um, so I am going to be talking about Maya Rose Craig, um, who is also known as Bird Girl. Uh-huh. She has a blog yes. <laughs> called birdgirluk.com. Nice. And uh. if she is not on the next Forbes 30 under 30 list, I'm probably going to just scream into my pillow and cry a little bit. <laughs> Write an angry email to the editor. <laughs> <laughs> I totally will. So Maya Rose Craig uh, who was born in 2002. So she is, as of the recording of this podcast in 2021, 19 years old. Oh, way. So young. <laughs> um, is a British Bangladeshi ornithologist and campaigner for equal rights. Um, she is also, I forgot to give you her title. She is Dr. Maya wait, Rose wait, Craig. Wait, because, what? because, what? because, <laughs> hang I'm- on, hang on, hang on. Let me finish. <laughs> well, you better finish before I start saying stuff. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. So she, because in February of 2020, she received an honorary doctorate in science from the University of Bristol, and she is the youngest British person to receive an honorary okay. doctorate. Okay. Wow. I was like, Shit. I'm 29, I'm so and I'm not a doctor yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So Dr. Maya Rose Craig, again, is a British Bangladeshi ornithologist. Uh, She was born in Bristol and and attended a bunch of English schools that I don't really know anything about. Um, (laughs) She currently attends uh, True Valley School. I don't know what that is. Um, But one of the things that is incredibly noteworthy about her is her formation of the nonprofit the great so great um okay so one of the prominent things about her is that she created the nonprofit organization black to nature um which runs nature camps so first of all she started this in 2013 so she was like really fucking young when she first started this camp so she wanted to advocate for visibly minority ethnic or VME children and teenagers and get them out into the outdoors and experiencing nature. So in 2013, let me do some math here real quick, because if she is, was what, she's years 19. Ago? She was like 11. Yeah, she was like 13. Oh yeah, God. so she was, so she was like 13 or so in Wait, when Jen, she. I think your math is bad. Nope, my math is bad. My math is so bad. I relate. It's 2021. Right? And 2013 was not seven years ago. It was eight eight years ago. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she was 11. Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. Okay, okay. We got there. This is why I don't don't have a doctorate. Um, Do computers do the math for you? You don't have to do that I know. We're over it. Uh, we're just we're just so yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> <she> <laughs> <doesn't> count. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Okay, uh, so she wanted to, like, increase the presence of VME children and teenagers in nature camps. And because she had gone to nature camps and she wanted other people to experience these same things, that she had the, uh, the opportunity to go and experience and fall in love with nature. Um, so she ran Black to Nature camps for black and, minori- black and minority ethnic children. Um, and she calls on white-led organizations in the nature conservation world and in media and environmental sectors to do more to engage with VME people. Oh, yeah. And she is a, like, she is my hero because of how much she sort of speaks out about the rampant racism and inherent nature of like white supremacy and nature mm-hmm. conservation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. She was also one of the young youth organizers of the climate protests that took place in oh. late 2019 and early 2020 alongside Greta Thunberg, who many of us know. Mm-hmm. Um, so she organized a lot of those climate protests. Um, but she has done so much as far as visibility and, like, just, yeah. She's she's kind of incredible. Yeah, dude, she's um, paid she, in the way. Yeah. I know. She also yeah. staged the quote most northerly climate strike ever because it was in the arctic circle she went out on an arctic ice flow along with a greenpeace boat and stood up on like the melting ice with a sign that said youth strike for climate Hmm. how fucking heartbreaking is it that that's even necessary i know it's so bad but fucking good on Um, her that's amazing mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Um, oh, I got some years wrong. I'm sorry. So that's okay. That's why I was confused. So she was 13 when she started Black to Nature, but it started in 2015. Okay. So okay. I, got my, I got my numbers crossed a little bit. Still insanely impressive, yes. though. Still insanely <laughs> yeah, impressive. Yeah, dude, to be that engaged in, like, I mean, basically political discourse at that age. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I was not conversant. I'm still not really very conversant. I don't think I even knew but, like, who the president was when I was 13. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, some vague idea of what the fuck was going on in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, she also is an avid birder, obviously. She's the bird girl of the UK. Um, and leads nature walks and hosts panels on all sorts of bird and like sort of the intersection of bird conservation and race and uh, climate justice. Um, she actually just hosted a panel. Y'all should follow her on Twitter. I just pulled up her handle. Um, she is at Bird Girl UK on Twitter mm. as well, and she has a blog, um, BirdGirlUK.com. Okay. Oh my gosh, we uh, have so many people to follow on the Twitter now. I know. Um, she's also the youngest person ever to see half of the world's wow. birds. I was just looking wow. at that on her Twitter. Insanely wow. high That's number. Like <laughs> Five thousand plus birds, y'all. Ugh. Yeah. So. Oh my god. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, she also did this amazing interview with the Guardian, which is one of the like one of my go to as far as news sources is concerned. Um, but she talks about how, like, so there is still such a skewed representation of environmental professionals. Um, this might just be in the UK. I'm not really sure. The um, There's another article about it, but I didn't get super into it. Um, 
But so of environmental professionals in this Guardian interview that she did, there are only 0.6% that are not white. Mm. Um, Yeah. I think you would probably find similar (laughs) things in the U.S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's really bad. And she just, she's, she's really vocal and really present as far as like, being just sort of this bastion of hope <laughs> for yeah. people who are like seeking out more diversity in birding and ornithology mm-hmm. and natural history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah. She's just really cool. You should check her out on Twitter, everybody. It's amazing. That sounds so <laughs> It looks cool. like she's giving a talk coming up Ooh, pretty mm-hmm. soon here. We'll have to share yeah. it on all of the things. Yeah, mm-hmm. March thirty first. Yeah, that's 7, next week. Born to bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah nice. um, and it's her first talk in, on birds and travel for over a year. So cool. It's most of what I have about Maya Rose, Craig, mm. Maya Rose Craig. Nice, Doctor Maya Rose Craig. I'm sorry, Doctor. Yeah, right. right Should we yeah. hand it over to Master Maya Percy? Yes, yes, Master Maya Percy. <laughs> All Mayas are the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's Maya Rose. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, no, I would love to pick it up here. Like while we're talking about this concept of just like hope for the, the future of conservation and the way that we think about conservation and how... I think often it's really hard to get caught in the trap of being just really angry about how things have gone in the past and especially how patriarchal and racist and sexist things were. And I know I fall into that trap all the time, but it's really cool (laughs) to be able to hear from people who just are so hopeful and positive about the future and just all the other mindsets that exist in the world that we could be tapping into. Um, So yeah, that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah, while I was doing research for this podcast, I came across the Alaska Women's Adaptation Network, which is such a cool and very new group of people um, who have just recently come together thinking about the climate crisis in particular, which is obviously very relevant for birds and (laughs) conservation and like everything that we've been talking about today. Um, (laughs) I think it's sometimes a little bit Oh, actually, I recently uh, was reading this thing about how we have like this whole concept of like white tears and like the racism world and how white tears are often like mm-hmm. not very productive and kind of like turning this conversation like back about white people's emotions. And I guess there's a really similar thing um, thinking about climate change and like white people's anxiety about climate change is this very like abstract and kind of self-centered thing. And meanwhile, so many people, especially um, in this case, indigenous people, but like BIPOC folks around the world are like already on the front lines of some pretty intense changing Mm -hmm. climate situations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is what the Alaska Women's Adaptation Network formed in response to is just how quickly things are changing in Alaska, which is pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I was like reading this today. (laughs) Like, oh, my God. Like, how how do you carry on in some ways? Um, but yeah, obviously, know, many, man. many indigenous peoples in Alaska rely very heavily on the land for subsistence. And um, 
yeah, there's pretty much everything that you hear about with climate change is already happening and has been happening for decades in some of these places. Um, just things like the ice and the land isn't freezing over completely in the winter anymore. And so hunting and traveling is like impossible. Um, winters are up to eight degrees warmer than they were just like 50 years ago, which is a huge wow. change. Um, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this kind of like it's <laughs> a an environmental disaster really, but it like also circles back to just like food security and basic like well-being for human communities. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on in Alaska. Um, but recently this adaptation network formed um, between I think around 30 different women right now, but it seems to be growing pretty quickly based on my Googling of this topic today. <laughs> um, but it's really cool because it brings together people from all across Alaska. So you have like rural, urban, indigenous, non-indigenous, um, and just like this space to talk about women's perspectives and ideas while things are changing really rapidly and while communities are kind of not doing super great or just facing a lot of pretty intense challenges. Um mm-hmm. And so in particular, it's a network that's focusing on things like clean energy policy, um, climate justice, climate science, and then just straight up like adaptation. Like how do you make communities work in the face of all of this change? (laughs) Yeah. And one of, (sighs) I like started as I was reading um, through some of their material and there's a really cool article that I can link that's through the Nature Conservancy actually. They work pretty closely. Um, with TNC, but just talking about how much of a mindset change it is to go from these predominantly white, patriarchal, colonial systems that are in a lot of ways leading us further and further down this path of climate disaster and thinking about how to kind of turn back and look to other other cultures and other ways of knowing, Um, which is pretty cool that Alaska is doing this because they're kind of like on the on the front lines of climate so where a lot of the rest of the world is going to be in a couple decades you can kind of like look ahead to places like Alaska um to see Mm -hmm. what might be happening in yeah in the rest of like the United States and the rest of the world Mm -hmm. um yeah so I really liked this network concept um partly because I one of my jobs right now is also working for a network. And I've just been thinking a lot about uh, like leadership and what that means. And I think because um, from like an environmental or even human perspective right now, a lot of Alaska is just like in crisis. And so this is often a time when people would look towards like a really um, like patriarchal or like very authoritative leader that's just kind of like dominant and like, you know, like maybe like a quote like sense of comfort when you're not really sure what's going on or what to do and that's a model that we've turned to like yeah 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 (laughs) and I mean in a lot of ways like that's what Trump was and that's maybe like yeah so on one hand you have like the potential for very kind of power hungry leaders um during this time but then also there are things like these networks that are just so much more based in like cultural exchange and knowledge sharing and not pretending to know all the answers, but being very clear about like what communities are facing and what other sources of knowledge around um, Alaska in this case might be. And so I found this all really hopeful. There was just such a, 
incredible exchange of ecological knowledge that was like very much um, place-based, but also kind of connected in a broader sense um, and felt like there was just a lot of hope for creating this example that we can use further down the line for either you know, like human adaptation or just other kinds of conservation work that honestly mm-hmm. is a little bit in crisis right now. Um, yeah, and so the the woman that I wanted to highlight who is involved in this network, actually from the very beginning, I think she was one of the folks who started it. Um, her name is Jackie Cleveland, and she's a UPIC filmmaker um, from Quinnahawk, which is a town of about 700 people on the coast of Alaska. Oh, <laughs> wow. Small. It's a small, really small. small place, really magical looking little place. Um, but again, facing a lot of these same wild climate struggles. And so actually the house that she grew up in is underwater now is like the sea level is rising and the shoreline is eroding wow. by about a meter a year. It's just like wow. completely being Whoa. lost as the, wow. the Arctic is melting. That's a lot. It's, it's really pronounced. Yeah. Um, and so she is a filmmaker, um, who's working on this really beautiful film that I think is not released yet, but will be very soon. And um, the name translates to always getting ready. And it's a Yupik expression um, that has to do with a lifestyle centered on just constantly preparing, like for the change of seasons, usually in Alaska. Um, but it's a really incredible looking film. It kind of goes to a lot of communities in Alaska um, in particular, there's, I think, 30 different villages that are under, like, very imminent threat um, from the permafrost thawing and the sea level rise and erosion um, of being relocated really soon, like, in the next few years. And so it's going to these places and documenting the stories of people who are having to move without necessarily much help from the state or federal governments and just kind of seeing, like, what they're doing, but also... Um, putting a lot of emphasis on like telling people's stories and reversing stereotypes. Um, And the message that I love is that no one, like this is a really intense situation, but no one in this situation needs to be saved. They're all just very much like resilient, thriving, knowledgeable, and like kind of leading by example right now. Like we all can expect Mm -hmm. this at some point. And so Mm -hmm. it's, we're really lucky to have this example and this network already created and the one um oh well one crazy thing also is that (laughs) just everything about this um but on the shore of this town where like a meter of land is being eroded every year um and the permafrost which has just held everything together for decades is melting um there is this incredible archaeology site that's been unearthed like for a few years before being washed into the sea and so there's this really cool research being done like for the first time ever really a kind of a glimpse into the pre-colonial Yupik culture um for like a tiny little second (laughs) that's a really big (laughs) part of this upcoming film too is like looking back into the culture um and I there's a a quote that I loved from this um, website I was looking at, which is kind of a description of the documentary. And I think it is really helpful for, like we talk a lot about um, 
reframing the way that we think about conservation or looking at the world through a lens that is not like a white colonial lens. And I think that can be really hard to comprehend if you've never experienced anything else. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I just really love this quote. It's um, the artifacts that they're finding in the site speak to the fundamental Yupik worldview in which the perimeters of the natural world are permeable. And we can see a centuries old ivory carving that is simultaneously a snowy owl and a seal and neither. In the far north, there never were illusions of permanence, mm. which is so like pertinent to climate change and thinking about how <laughs> things are changing and how I think we tend to have this sense of fear that we don't know what to do about it. And in some ways, maybe we don't. But also there are a lot of cultures that maybe are a little bit further ahead of us in terms of thinking <laughs> in that more like flexible, adaptable way. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool like conservation and adaptation story that I was mm -hmm. really into reading about. And we can link to the movie so you guys can see it eventually. I think it should be out sometime in 2020 was my impression. Or 2021, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what year is it? It's ah, all the same stuck year. I never know. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I think climate change and for me brings so much anxiety and like dread. And mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's just like really inspiring to think about change as I mean, even though it is like pretty disastrous, think about change as like something that is always constant and mm -hmm. like the different ways to view climate change, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like very much in like white mainstream culture just kind of stuck in this idea that like the way things are right now are like there is no change and it is good and we should stay that way <laughs> that's such an illusion <laughs> <laughs> there yeah I just really love trying to like step outside of that that view a little bit and mm -hmm. like allowing for the the sense of impermanence and just like questioning what you what you know like not having to have all the answers and being okay with that yeah yeah I mean, that's so different. I yeah. mean, I feel like the thing that people always worry about with like this, I mean, existential dread, right, is that are like, just like when you die, you're not going to mm -hmm. leave your mark on the world in some way. And like yeah. that permanence mm -hmm. is like a thing to strive for. And if you can't have immortality, then you at least want people to build statues of you. Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool to think about impermanence as a part of nature because it, it is. I mean, it is mm -hmm. a part of mm -hmm. nature. Um, yeah, that's completely. really cool. And all those, and all those people that we build statues to, we don't actually know what they were like. We have the myth of those people. We don't have who those people actually were. So even if you are immortalized, like it's a shell. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's a fucking shell, yeah. and it doesn't matter. And we're all gonna die, and it's fine. We should be okay but, with that. <laughs> but do you know what is? Do you know what is forever? actually do you know what is forever is it diamonds? is that this is our no <laughs> because those turn into graphite um <laughs> but what is forever is that this is our 20th episode oh, oh. <laughs> guys we can almost drink <laughs> and next i was gonna say the next one our podcast will be able to drink oh. <laughs> what wow, should you like a bird themed cocktail episode or something i don't yeah.
Everyone can celebrate with us while they listen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, celebrate with us. Yeah, 21. Whoa. 21 in 2021. Oh my god, golden birthday. Wait, now I want to know what y'all did on your 21st birthdays. Um, Oh god, I don't. I think... Wait, wait, no, no, we can talk about that next... No, we're talking about that next episode. Stop. Stop. Okay, but I wasn't a birder then. So there's nothing bird related. <laughs> so thank you, uh, everyone, for listening to our 20th episode. I've, again, minimal shout outs because if you want a shout out, you should probably interact with us more. Um, but we have Lucky K or at K, Clucky K on Twitter. This one's kind of terrifying. Uh, we got retweeted by Ibis or at Ibis underscore journal, what? which is a major Ooh. scientific publication. An international one. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Do you know? Do you know what the Ibis retweeted? They didn't even like us. Like the tweet. They retweeted a tweet about our booby which episode. Uh... <laughs> and I am just. <laughs> Probably, I don't know, but either way, thank you at ibis underscore journal. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> we also have a thank you to the bot femtech or at femtech underscore, which is a bot that retweets female developers, engineers, and scientists and people in STEM. Um, the Nisqually River, Nisqually River Council or at Nisqually River on Twitter. Um, oh, we have another shout out to... Bourdoge de la Mondor at Bird No Moj. And a new ta- new shout out to, um, I don't know what this is, but I love it. Um, <laughs> it's called Pogo Winner Announcer at, at, or at Pogo Announcer. Hmm. And um, they retweeted our tweet about oh. puppies. Yeah, so it was um, International <laughs> Puppy Day yesterday. Today what? on Charlie's birthday. Oh, um, that's appropriate. So I just like yeah. appropriate. Retweeted a cute <laughs> video of puppies. So I think they just Hell retweeted yeah. the retweet. Still, but so thank you everyone on Twitter, um, and on Facebook and Instagram, all the things where you can find us. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to shout out, probably interact with us more on any yeah, of those. Nobody platforms. has <laughs> sent us any bird poop pictures on social media. We are disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> we want to see the bird poop that looks like other things. Show yes. us your bird poop, or I guess conversely, <laughs> other things that look like bird poop. Hey, there well, are moths, yeah. for example, that look like bird poop. That's how they don't get eaten. They're Mm, that's right. pretty legit. Yeah. Smart. Using their brain parts. <laughs> <laughs> Evolution's using their brain parts. <laughs> I like the idea of evolution as a being and not just a concept. I know. Okay, <laughs> there we go. New religion. It's not God. It's evolution. Mm-hmm. And they are NB. And they are awesome. Fuck Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <gasps> um, 
So if you want to interact with us on the social medias, you should probably find us on any of the social medias. And I'm not doing it again this week because I never do. <laughs> <laughs> who wants it? Who wants it? Is it Ashley's guys- turn? I oh, did it fuck. last time, I think. Yeah. It's okay. I know them. So it's fine. Okay, do it. You lost. <laughs> Please interact with us. Uh, you can find us at Flocktail Hour on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are uh, flocktailspodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email, which you should because we would greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And our website is flocktailhour.com. Yeah. And if you interact you with us on social yeah. media, really, you're interacting with me because I control them. It's well, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> we're all puppets <laughs> controlled by Ash. No, just the social media. <laughs> controlled by me. Sort of. <laughs> dance, puppets, dance. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, we also have some sweet merch. And there's a link from our Hell website yeah. to our merch store. And y'all should check it out because it's fucking sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we just found the Foul Mouse podcast and we're coming for you. Yeah, dude. Not really. You guys seem real cool. They're so cool. <laughs> yeah, let's be Maybe friends. they'll have us on someday in our in our dreams. <gasps> yeah. Oh, we also need to get on Watcher somehow. Retweet us at Watcher Entertainment so that we can have a top five a top five beatdown of birds in North America. That would because be so I would cool. fucking die. Oh my god, we'd have fucking to like, die. We'd have to fight about who our top five would be. I think we would each pick one of the five and then we would have to have like a really strong debate mm, about the top mm-hmm. one. I'm so down for this. We could have an episode where we pick our top five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we would have to agree on the bottom four and then we would all have to unanimously agree on the first one, I mm-hmm. think. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seems legit. Yeah. 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 Okay. Is that all the things? Uh, I think so. Cool. We should, yeah. we should get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, y'all. We really appreciate you. Uh, I'm Kristen Brown. I'm Ashley Ola. I'm Jen Schneiderman. And I'm Maya Pershy. And stop the hate against AAPI individuals. Yes. Hell yes. Yes.